You can join the fight to defend employee-funded and association PACs by texting NABPAC to 52886. Message and data rates may apply. Welcome back to the Facts About PACs podcast. This show is brought to you by NABPAC, the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. And I'm your host, Michaela Isler, NABPAC's Executive Director. This week, President Biden stepped into the House chamber and addressed a joint session of Congress for the first time. His top line message, America is back and moving again. His proposal for major investment in American infrastructure is top of mind as we welcome a new NAPAC member to the show today. Coming up, our conversation with the president and CEO of the Transportation Intermediaries Association, Ann Ramke. The scene in the House chamber was smaller quieter and more socially distant than Americans are used to for this most important speech, Michaela. Everyone but the president was wearing a mask. And I have to say the image of two women sitting behind the speaker's rostrum was yet another first for our nation. And of course, it was also the first time leaders from both chambers were gathered there since the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. Yeah, Adam, we have come a long way since the early days of January. And Michaela, the political debate over what constitutes infrastructure has been joined by both parties. And the voice of the business community will have a significant impact on where, how, and in what order the coming investments will take place. That is an issue that our guest today, Ann Ranke, knows a great deal about. Indeed, she does, Adam. And before assuming the role as president and CEO of TIA, she served two years as a deputy assistant secretary of transportation, covering both intergovernmental affairs and congressional affairs, and 16 years doing federal affairs with the CSX Corporation. Her advocacy and insights into how things big and small move around our nation and the world make her voice and TIAs an important one in the months to come. So before we bring Anne in, I want to update all our podcast listeners on some other news regarding our industry coming out of the 117th Congress. To start, the Ban Corporate PACs Act, H.R. 2692, was introduced last week by Representative Josh Harder, Democrat from California, and Representative Jared Golden, Democrat of Maine. The proposed legislation would amend the Federal Election Campaign Act of 1971 to prohibit for-profit corporations from being allowed to sponsor, operate, or fund a separate segregated fund. The bill would also dissolve existing corporate PACs one year after enactment. The bill was up for consideration in the last congressional session as well. It went nowhere, and NABPAC will closely monitor and provide updates as we have them. And an update here on the For the People Act, that's H.R. 1 S1. Guidance we're hearing is that S1 may indeed be scheduled for a markup in the Senate Rules and Administration Committee in the coming month of May. And as soon as this time firms up, We'll let everybody know. And finally, Representative Derek Kilmer, Democrat from Washington, has reintroduced the Restoring Integrity to America's Elections Act. That's H.R. 1414. And it seeks to restructure the Federal Elections Commission, reducing the members of the FEC from six to five and changing the method of their selection and terms of service of members. Much of the language in this bill is also included in H.R. 1 S1 as well. And many of you who are close watchers like you, Michaela, know that. 
Yeah, thanks, Adam, for the update. You know, the Banned Corporate PACs Act being reintroduced and just so much attention on our industry right now. NAPAC is working even harder to build our business PAC champions. And as you all heard at the very top of the show, you can help. Text NAPAC to 52886 to add your voice as we continue to defend and support the business PAC community. So, Adam... Let's light this candle. Right you are, Michaela. The Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap this week's NAP activities, share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community. Thanks, Adam. And the Transportation Intermediaries Association, or TIA, is a new member here at NAPAC. And their president and CEO, Ann Ranke, joins us on the podcast today. Welcome to the show, Ann. Thank you so much for having me. We're excited to be new members. Well, TIA is the voice of the third-party logistics industry, and your members invented the freight brokering industry. Tell everyone what third-party logistics is all about. Well, one of our guys, Chris Burroughs, who's our vice president of government affairs, I'll, I'll credit him with this phrase. We are the travel agents of freight. So what does that mean? We are the ultimate connectors. We like to call ourselves the middle of the supply chain, connecting the shipper, you know, the producer of goods on the one hand, with the carrier the mode of transportation on the other hand. And we aggregate that capacity, both on the shipper side and on the transportation side. So while most of our members are truck facing, we also have access to railroads through our intermodal companies and to ocean vessels through those entities that connect there. And so because we have access to all those connections, we can really particularly in this tight market that we're seeing, can ultimately put people together and make sure that the goods that everyone is looking for as they sit at home and order on the internet are available and come to their house. How everything gets to where it needs to be is of more interest to all of us because we're in new places than maybe ever before. But I want the audience to know, and you're a lawyer by training. You graduated from Wake Forest University School of Law. Tell us, when and how did you discover your passion for the transportation sector? And when did you realize the importance of advocacy in your work? Well, I think lawyers by training are supposed to be advocates. So I went to law school because I liked that aspect of it. When I first initially practiced as a lawyer, I w- <laughs> this would be true of any first year associate. You're not doing a whole lot of advocating. You're doing a whole lot of paperwork and document review and document production, which is a critical component. Don't get me wrong. It's a critical component of advocating for your client. But I honestly felt that I needed to believe in whomever it was that I was advocating for. And so while having the law degree set me in that direction, I realized what I liked and what I wanted to do was advocate for a particular cause. And transportation was sort of accidental. I started at this small association who hired me because I had that law degree and because I had that advocacy background. But it really encouraged this flame of, look, this is something that we can all get behind. We all need transportation. There's no Republican road or Democratic waterway. So that's something that I enjoyed and I and I ultimately believed in. And I worked for many years, as you know, for CSX, for, for railroads, which, as they say, is the backbone of the economy. And so it's just something that came naturally to me. So, Anne, I know you're a big supporter of the PAC industry and would love just for you to take us inside your memberships discussions in the aftermath of the events of January 6th? And and how has TIA and TIA PAC oriented itself for the 117th Congress? Have there been any major changes for you? Sure. So we were concerned after January 6th because it was such 
obviously a, a, a I mean, there are many adjectives we can describe it, but it, it was um, very tough for our members to watch, to see, to see the Capitol being attacked like that. Also, our membership is ultimately very pragmatic. They understand that regardless of politics, it is critical to get our members in front of members of Congress to talk about our issues. We can't, we are not big enough to sort of let that aspect of advocacy go by the wayside. It's not a red issue, it's not a blue issue. It is a 3PL and intermediaries issue that we get in front of members of Congress. Our PAC, it's not huge, but it's not small either. It gives us enough resources. So what we've changed, I guess, if anything is, we're appealing to people's common sense and the respect for their bottom line, that in order to grow your bottom line and protect your interests, this is an aspect of the job that we need to all invest in. Thinking about the nature of the 3PL space, I did some research before you came on the show. I didn't realize how many of your members and folks who are in this space actually constitute smaller and even family-owned businesses, even as they succeed and grow. That's exactly right. We have people who are one or two person operations, those who started a business and have passed it down to their, their children, and they don't have time to go up on Capitol Hill and advocate on behalf of them, they, they need us. And so how dare we not do that? And, and as you know, members of Congress are being inundated every day with any number of issues that they need to sort of be smart about. And how could we not be up there to educate them about something that they probably don't know a whole lot about. There are a couple members of Congress who are in the logistics industry. Uh, we appreciate them, but they can't educate 535 other members. They need us. And if we're not up there, then it's a dereliction of our duty. Spot on. And, and you know, the hot topic on Capitol Hill right now is obviously infrastructure. And you have deep industry experience and, and recent high-level federal government leadership experience. What does this coming debate mean for the third-party logistics industry? And, and how much education about your issues are you all doing right now in regards to an infrastructure bill? The hugest component, of course, to us is the funding for, for the actual nation's infrastructure. So uh, as I mentioned, most of our members are truck facing. And so to the extent we have investment in roads and bridges and highways, that is incredibly important to our members. That's incredibly important to the nation's efficiency and to our economy and to our vitality. We cannot grow as a country and become ever more prosperous if we have poor and failing infrastructure. So that is something as a general habit we always have advocated for. We are neutral and into how that money is raised, but typically want it to be a user fee as opposed to some sort of transfer of money from, from general accounts. The infrastructure bill itself is stronger when it's bipartisan. It is more representative of America when it is bipartisan. When it is put together in a top-down fashion from leadership, I don't know if that, to me, just thinking as an institutionalist, that's not typically how it's been done. The best bills that you've seen in the past are those that have been driven out in sometimes an exhausting fashion over days of hearings and markups, but they, de they derive a consensus. That is kind of the way 
we think it should be done. We'll see what happens this time around. We obviously know there are plenty of institutionalists on both sides of the aisle who would love to have it done that way as well. Um, we have some discrete issues that we are concerned about that are policy issues that may or may not come into the bill that, we'll, that we are educating members about to the extent those issues get in the bill. Obviously, as you know, it's tough to get a bill passed these days, and it's certainly tough to get a single issue bill passed these days. So yes, if this is a vehicle that would potentially we could put one of those issues on, we would we would seek that out. We're talking with Ann Ranke, president and CEO of the Transportation Intermediaries Association. How is TIA PAC gearing up in this new cycle, Ann? Well, first of all, we joined NABPAC, which we were excited about because NABPAC, unlike a lot of organizations, really is there to provide resources and education about the importance of PACs in the first place. And because, as I said, we're not a huge PAC, but we're not a tiny PAC, we needed that extra help. We needed that extra resource. So one of the things that NABPAC talked about and had some really good sort of brainstorming sessions about educating our members is this piece that we put out, which is called Not Red or Blue, But Business Protection. And what that is, is here's this, you know, we have five issues. For example, the PRO Act, our members are very concerned about upsetting the independent contractor model for any number of reasons. So here's what we need to do. We can't just be up on the hill. First of all, you can't be up on the hill yet. I mean, the house is gradually opening up, but you can't just zoom on the hill. You also have to do whatever means necessary to get the message out. And so we can't just use one mode. We have to use whatever modes available. And so we use that as a fundraiser, which is, again, it's not red or blue. You may hate politics. You may hate, you may think it's toxic, but if we're not up there, they're not going to hear from us. They're going to hear from any number of other entities who either don't have our interests at heart or are actually are averse to our interests. And I've always thought too, it's sort of bizarre to me after January 6th that corporate PACs became in the spotlight because what did that have to do with January 6th? Absolutely nothing. To me, it was sort of these corporations who are, I'm, I'm, look, I understand everyone's got to make their their stake their stake in the in the in the ground, but you know, you can not have to announce who you're going to vote for or make a public statement. I'm not sure what that does to you. And now it just seemed to put a target on corporate PACs back when they have little or nothing to do the toxicity of the politics that's going on today. And I would say further, which you didn't even ask me, but I'm going to say corporate PACs are the most heavily regulated PACs that there are to the extent that there are issues with unlimited contributions. These are these super PACs, which by and large, corporations don't actually even give to um, the 527s, but the FEC scrutinizes every contribution and you're limited. And in fact, at a certain point, because of the unlimited nature of 527s, the corporate PACs are becoming sort of, in a way, like chump change because the big dollars are now these independent individual contributors who are giving gobs and gobs of money. So the corporations are doing everything by the right way. They're following all the rules. They're doing monthly disclosures and by semi-annual disclosures to the Senate and House. I mean, what more could you want? There could not be more transparency and scrutiny towards what corporate PACs are doing. And quite frankly, corporate, now I'm on a roll, corporate PACs, corporations should be allowed to speak just as much as any other entity, a union, for example. There's no restrictions on unions giving, right? So we're, we're not beating them up. Well, they should be allowed to give, of course. So, so should corporations. We should all be able to have our say. It doesn't mean we're all going to get our way. 
And I really appreciate your comments there. I mean, it's something we've been, I mean, really and truly why we even created the Facts About Packs podcast, you know, a year ago to be able to get that message out. And, and in some ways, because we are so transparent, it's in many ways being used against us in this moment. And it's, right. it's really unfortunate. Um, and, you know, I think as you talked about sort of a bipartisan nature, I mean, the reality is, is, is the business PAC community is in large part very bipartisan. Most of our PACs give, you know, 50-50, you know, Republican to Democrat. And now with the onset of the no corporate PAC pledge, we're now seeing some Republicans potentially signing on to that pledge. Um, do you have any thoughts on what this means for the business PAC community and, and, and our ability to stay relevant? Right. Uh, so that that is a concern, because as I mentioned, a, you've got unlimited giving through 527. So corporate PACs relevance does get dwarfed by that. Um, you do have people on both sides now pointing fingers at corporate PACs, either you know on the Republican side saying they're too woke and on the Democratic side saying they're too entrenched. And and so to me, this it's hard to know if this is a moment or if this is a trend. Um, I think with organizations like yourselves, People who are sensible and say this is we we have a constitutional right to speak. Although if you look at the First Amendment, it's so funny how it says petition the government for a redress of grievances. As if, like we're not just talking about grievances. We're also trying to be proactive and, and, and like promotional. But anyway, separate part of that. I, I do think it is incumbent on all of us to say, look, there's going to be hot air on both sides. We're going to span the middle where the hot air isn't and try to speak to that middle group of people who understand that they can't possibly know all the issues. And so they need an educated group of people to tell them, all right, here's what you should be concerned about. So one of the things that I think all of us in this industry and broadly in Washington recognize is that thought leadership and doing the hard work and communication are vitally important. You yourself are a thought leader in D.C. and TIA has really doubled down on that role. You all have put up the Advocacy Insights podcast. How important is consistent communication, education and outreach to serving both your and any association's mission, in your opinion, Anne? It's job number one, because how does the how does the membership know what we're doing if we don't communicate? Now, we fall into a, a situation, which I'm sure you guys do, too, which is sometimes our members are so busy that it's hard for them to even uh, focus on our communication. So what we try to do is give it to them in different ways. So if, if you can't focus on an email, maybe you can, when you're driving in your car, commuting to your office, you can listen to a podcast, or maybe you can get online later and watch a webinar that we produce through our education team. So that's what we're trying to do is what are the, the ways, the modes that people can get their information? And we're going to try to provide provide it to you however you can get it. Because, you know, people are busy throughout the day. Sometimes email, it seems like, are we going to have to move on from email and move to something else? I don't know. I don't know what that is. Is it brainwaves? I don't know. But we are just trying to find ways that we can articulate the content, make sure they understand that we're working for them in whatever is convenient mode for them to receive it. Well, and they are so lucky to have you at the helm of TIA, and we are so pleased to have you as a member of NAPAC. We can't thank you enough for joining us today on our podcast, the Facts About PACs podcast, and uh, however we can be helpful to you and your members going forward, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. You have already been helpful. We already have appreciated so much our membership, so thank you.
Thanks, Anne, and, and thanks to everyone listening and sharing the number one PAC podcast in America. The Facts About PACs podcast is dedicated to promoting the most transparent and regulated form of political giving and the amazing professionals who lead their employee-funded and business trade association PACs. Coming up next week, we're joined by the president and CEO of BIPAC, Tim Reardon. Don't miss it. Until then, stay safe, stay engaged, and keep moving forward.